Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Media. Hello everyone, it's me, James, and I'm joined today by Erica, who is an attorney, uh, the director at Al Otro Lado, which is a binational non-profit uh, that does legal and humanitarian aid between San Diego and Tijuana. And uh, we're here to discuss the open-air detention sites and some things that uh, Jim Desmond, one of our county supervisors, has been saying about them. So welcome to the show, Erica. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, it's nice to have you here. Thanks for taking the time. So I want to start off by talking about Jim Desmond today, uh, which is something I like to do. If people aren't familiar with Jim Desmond, uh, Jim Desmond is a supervisor in San Diego County. Uh, he's from District 5, which is northern San Diego County. He's a Republican. He's the former mayor of San Marcos, which is a city in North County. And before that, he was a pilot in the Navy. He's pretty much like a standard culture war boomer and a valuable reminder to us all that there are people alive today who grew up when they put lead in children's toys. Notable uh, Jim Desmond's stances uh, include his stance on climate change, which uh, I'm just going to read to you. Uh, try and follow it if you can. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge. Um, I think the climate has been changing since the beginning of time. The climate comes and the climate goes. The Great Lakes, the Great Plains, the Yosemite Valley all formed by glaciers. They've been gone a long, long time. So you find seashells on mountaintops. You see where it used to be, you know, the land masses were Pangaea, and then the land masses all change and move around. So I say we may be part of climate change, but I think the only reason we're here, and we're still here today, is because we as a species learn to adapt to different climates and climate changes. Now maybe we're maybe exacerbating it a bit towards the end of the warming trend, but I don't know that. So it's just it's about as about as convoluted as his governing strategy here in San Diego County. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's said a lot of words, uh, but it really conveyed very little meaning. But yeah, this is kind of he, he seems to like speaking, but but maybe like he doesn't take quite as long as one would hope to plan out where he's going with his sentences before he delivers them. He also has a podcast. So I guess uh, our podcasting rival. Uh, did you have you listened to his podcast, Erica? No, I'm, but it might be entertaining, so yeah, I'll take a look at it. <laughs> definitely. Um, I know it'll. Uh, you can learn some things about coronavirus, for instance. Uh, God. Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, in May of 2020, he claimed there had been six pure, solely coronavirus deaths. Uh, the, the other 200 or so that happened in the county by then were not, quote-unquote, pure coronavirus deaths, I guess, by his estimation. So... In this this little uh, escapade got him cited by Joe Rogan on the Joe Rogan podcast. 
which must have been a great moment for Desmond. He hosted a ton of COVID skeptics on his podcast as well throughout the lockdowns. Um, he did, uh, after he like caused some controversy on Twitter, which is, is a recurring theme, he hosted an actual immunologist on his show. And this was the only guest who he really kind of argued with. Um, and in doing so, he said, I quote, the herd needs to get it. And he's talking about COVID here. And we'll have a better handle on it. So to me, the number of cases means the herd's getting it. So that's a good thing. Um, and then his guest corrected him, pointing out that uh, there needs to be like immunity for there to be herd immunity. And what he's just looking at it is contagion, uh, not not immunity. Uh, so he he sort of he, he continued to make these claims throughout the pandemic, right? That that the uh, the lockdown was holding our jobs hostage, bad for the economy. Uh, he wasn't an anti-masker, interestingly. He said we should wear masks if that's what it took to open the businesses again. And he, at least, I mean, he's always been pretty terrible on border stuff, right, Erica? I'm sure you've encountered some of his border stances before. I think all of the supervisors are terrible on border stuff, but at least he says the quiet part out loud. Yeah. But we'll get more into that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk about how that, yeah. That the the Democrats being terrible on the border is, is something that I think we can't say enough. In recent months, <laughs> he held a press conference claiming the border should be shut down uh, to prevent an influx. It's not a quote; it's a paraphrase here. But to prevent an influx of Hamas fighters, um, which I don't know, it, it shows a misunderstanding of a lot of things, like uh, like how Hamas works uh, and also how the border works. Like um, I, the idea that a one could leave Gaza at this time. And B, that one could just fly into Mexico, <laughs> like uh, where, of course, like they they wouldn't immediately notice that you had come like armed and equipped to attack the U.S. border. Um, but I think just with the COVID stuff and with the border stuff, he is just throwing red meat to his base, but it's not yeah. necessarily aligned with what he does. And I would assume it's not aligned with what he actually knows, like where the COVID stuff. He did set up vaccination clinics yeah. in his district. And so he's clearly not a complete skeptic. At least that's not what his actions showed. And I think for some of your listeners who are not in the United States or maybe not in California, we are on the border in San Diego. You can get to Mexico within, you know, if you're in Jim Desmond's district within half an hour, you're in Tijuana. And I assume he's been here for many years. And so it, he has to know more about the border than he's letting on. It's just really like he's regurgitating the right wing narrative to garner political points, I think, in a county where he's the last standing Republican on the Board of Supervisors. So I think that's important to remember, too. Definitely. It definitely seems like this is kind of and you see he does a lot of appearance on right wing news channels, right? Like he's often on. Uh, Fox, but then our local kind of crazy right-wing news channel is KUSI, who have really doubled down on the culture war stuff since like 2020. And you'll you'll see him on there a lot and talking about the border a lot, right? It seems to, as you say, like either be like an attempt for re-election or perhaps for higher office. I don't know, but he um he'll make a lot of claims about the border which are just patently untrue, which is what I want to talk about now. So he spent. His New Year's Day uh, in Hakumba, making little videos for Twitter and Instagram. Um, I, I was there on New Year's Day too. I didn't actually see him, which is a shame. But uh, that day, there weren't many people at all who were in the open air detention sites. So um, he he sort of made videos in front of empty tents. It was a bit weird. In his first one, he wrote, Today, I visited the border and migrant encampments in Hakumba. The chaos continues with dozens of people camping out, waiting for Border Patrol to take them to Resource Center, paid for by county taxpayers. Um, he's not like, you can, I'm sure, Erica, you can explain this as well. He's not wrong that they may eventually end up at the quote-unquote welcome center, which is paid for by county funds, which came uh, from the American Rescue Act, which is, of course, federal money. Uh, but it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah, so... Border, the migrants are being held in what are essentially open air prisons by border patrol. We, the collective of nonprofits, mutual aid groups, and volunteers, are the only ones who've been paying for water, food, medical assistance, shelter, 
etc. for people who are being held in these open air prisons, sometimes for days at a time, including the medically infirm and children. And so I think that's one piece of it to understand because he did say in his when, when he was speaking in front of the empty tent that the county taxpayers were paying for those things, which is patently untrue. But then just, again, understanding the process is something that he has to understand. He's been here for decades. He has to know that these people are being taken into Border Patrol custody, processed, and then either released to the county-funded welcome center or they are detained by immigration. And so it's the same legal process we've had for decades at the border where people have a right to seek asylum, whether they enter at a port of entry or not. And the real controversy here is the fact that Border Patrol is holding people outdoors for days at a time without the things that they need to survive. Yeah. I want to get back to that claim that he made, right, that the county paid for it. We've got some audio of him making that claim, so we'll just play it. As we, as we look inside this abandoned tent, there's, there's a sandwich left in a baggie. There's water, there's bananas, ponchos crackers, snacks, and waters, and this tent is empty. Many of these tents are just the, the same way. There's no one here. Yet probably in the next day or so, there'll be more migrants coming, inhabiting this, and then being processed through San Diego County, being paid for with San Diego tax dollars. So in the caption that accompanied this video, he wrote, quote, during my recent border visit, I encountered an abandoned campsite filled with tents, food, drinks, and campfires, paid for by San Diego County taxpayers. This site is used as a temporary holding site before migrants are then processed into our country. And and this like gets to the thing I think that Lewis where he like bullshitted too close to the sun because it, none of that, as you said, was paid for by taxpayers, right? All of that was paid for by right. by yeah pe- people like us, uh, nonprofits, mutual aid people. And can you give a sense of like the the amount of spending that Alo Trollado has had to take on to to make these open air prisons like survivable for people, and even still, they're deeply unpleasant, even with all our work. Yeah. Um, so we have acted as a fiscal sponsor for a lot of the smaller groups because we are able to receive foundation funding as a five hundred one c three, and so we've used that legal status to support a lot of the mutual aid groups that have been spending tens of thousands of dollars. But I've gone through the budgets and we've spent an average of about $150,000 per month, which is a lot for us. But when you look at the Department of Homeland Security, which should be spending this money, uh, they, they have a $170 billion budget for 2023. I think it's even higher for fiscal year 2024. So it's really, you know, probably what they spend on one of those autonomous surveillance towers uh, that are sitting in the camps in like a day, right? <laughs> so it's yeah. really nothing for them. You know, it's very clear that they're making a choice to leave these uh, really vulnerable migrants to potentially die in the desert. And then when we look at the county funding, you know, they've allocated now $6 million to this welcome center which you know we'll talk about in more detail, but is really providing woefully inadequate services to the same population that's going through these open-air detention sites after they've been released from Border Patrol custody. So again, it's like, it's a lot of money for us. It's not a lot of money for the county. Um, I would love it if the county would pay for <laughs> yeah. it. They've stated on multiple occasions that they will not. It's been pure philanthropic funding and donations, but... Yeah, I mean, we've been able to do a lot with very little, and it really was the bare minimum to keep people alive. So, yeah, if we had an actual infusion of county funding, I'm sure we could have done a lot more. Yeah, and like even we don't have access to the things that government has access to, right? Like normally in a refugee situation, we'd have UNHCR tents, we'd have uh, humanitarian MREs, like we had to buy those on this we couldn't get the tents and we and the mres we had to find on the surplus market right like we we can't the, the state could do more for less but they're, they're very much choosing not to as you said so what the result of this was rather amusing right a number of people from mutual aid groups uh including friends of ours from free shit collective 
took to Desmond's office uh, with literal receipts, right? Like with receipts, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was a tremendous moment. Uh, like, and we don't mean receipts like in a figurative sense. We mean like pieces of paper from Costco. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. And and the fact is, you know, within a number of hours, um, the folks from Free Shit Collective and others were able to just pull together over sixteen thousand dollars in receipts. And that's, like I mentioned, a small fraction of what we've actually been spending. That's probably just their receipts from the week. And so, again, for us, it's like, that's an enormous lift. I know we're all exhausted. Those of us who've been working in the open-air detention sites, it's exhausting to be there all the time. It's exhausting to try to raise enough money to keep thousands and thousands of people alive when they're forced into a deadly situation. And so, it's. I think we were all pretty pissed off when we heard him taking yeah. credit for that, even if he was trying to denigrate, you know, the idea of spending money on refugees. Yeah, right. Like, it's funny, because he'll also say, like, it's inhumane, it's unacceptable. But like, if you're not going to do anything to stop the humanity, the inhumanity, like, I don't really find that a very believable claim. Like, he was literally standing at Willows, so like less than a mile from where we spent that day making sandwiches and, and cooking beans and and uh, doing the things we do every day, sorting out coats, you know, uh, and he he could have come and helped, or even just come and said what you guys are doing is is, is great. Uh, but he chose not to. He just stood in front of his whoever was filming him and lied. His proposed solution is to close the border, which he knows is not an option because the refugee convention is still a thing. We, the U.S. is still a signatory. You know, we have legal obligations under both domestic and international law to accept asylum seekers in our country. And so, you know, his solution to the inhumanity is to push people back over the Mexican border where, you know, they're subject to all manner of state and criminal violence. So I don't think the inhumanity is really his priority (laughs) to address. It's really, again, just like throwing red meat to the base to, you know, this open borders, hysteria that they all love to cite yeah uh talking of hysteria uh we should take a little break for some adverts for things that uh might try to get you to buy them by making you afraid and you shouldn't Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. We are back. And yeah, I want to talk a little more about that, like, this this idea of a closed border, you see it a lot, mostly from Republicans, right? Like it, it's like you say, it's not only legally impossible; it's also like physically impossible. And we, we people enter the U.S. through gaps in the border wall. When people enter the U.S. through gaps in the border wall, I should add, because we've made it virtually impossible for them to get asylum appointments in, in a reasonable time frame and and to be in a place that's safe while they make those appointments. And so, like like the idea that we could. How, how do we close, you know, like, like the physical border? Um. Well, just, yeah, I mean, I just want to take a step back for one second because this sort of o- Biden's open borders hysteria that we've heard yes. so much from yeah. the right wing, I think it's worth unpacking what this means because I've seen, you know, people in the Democratic Party or even people on the left really shy away from this idea of open borders when those of us who have first world passports already have a world of open borders. I mean, we can pretty much go wherever we want. You know, we gentrify other countries to their detriment. Like it's not, (laughs) there really are not many restrictions on first world citizens moving around the world. So I think that's one important thing to consider as we're kind of launching into this discussion it's like open borders are okay for me but not for brown people like yeah it's a little (laughs) you know and that's kind of the underlying impetus behind a lot of what we're going to talk about in san diego county it's like people this underlying idea that people should not have the right to come here which is just ludicrous so i think that's one thing but when we're talking about asylum in particular you know like i mentioned earlier we are um, signatories to the Refugee Convention and the subsequent 1967 protocol. This has been enshrined in domestic law in the 1980 Refugee Act. And so refugees who are people outside of their country of origin fleeing persecution have the right to ask for protection at the U.S.-Mexico border, whether it's at a port of entry or between ports of entry. So those in Hakumba and these other open-air detention sites are those crossing between ports of entry because it's been made impossible to approach the port of entry and seek asylum. And this is something that our organization has been litigating for years. You know, at first people were just being turned away. Then there was a waiting list in Mexico. Now they have this stupid app that's just like glitches and there's not enough appointments and people have to wait for months in Mexico just to get an appointment if they're one of the lucky ones who can. The app's also been hacked by organized crime. You know, certain nationalities are able to pay for appointments. It's just, it's a complete mess. It has nothing to do with this ideal, you know, that the refugee convention is supposed to enshrine. So regardless of, you know, all of the illegal things the U.S. government is doing, like, you cannot close a border to asylum seekers without withdrawing from the refugee convention. And I just really don't see that happening for our country just because we like to you know talk about how we're a bastion for human rights etc which you know that's a whole other podcast i think <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah we can uh, yeah break that down a little bit but i think one thing that you said that i want to talk about is that you said that open borders or, or like free free travel for brown people is something that a lot of uh, more privileged folks especially in in san diego even in san diego i should say are uncomfortable with i think we really saw like it's not just skin color, but it's really hard for me to see skin color not playing a large role when I see people from Africa, people from uh, South America waiting for months, if not years, and then people from Ukraine coming at a, when the larger scale conflict in Ukraine began and effectively skipping the line, right? Yeah, so when the Ukrainians all came through Tijuana, I think there were maybe 20,000 or so who came through in a period of a month. That was during Title 42, which was 
uh, Trump era policy that closed the border to asylum seekers based on public health reasons, but really it was because they wanted to close the border to asylum seekers. Um, and so there were very few humanitarian exemptions granted to Title 42 at that time. But at the time the Ukrainians came, that exemption process had actually been shut down for quite a while. So I was watching people die in Tijuana because they didn't have access to the U.S. asylum system. I remember when the Ukrainians came, there was a child who caught pneumonia in one of the shelters. It was like a month's old baby who died. And then when the Ukrainians came, you know, the doors were flung open for them. Uh, CBP, which up until that point said they did not have capacity to process asylum seekers, they were processing Ukrainians at a clip of a thousand a day. And it was heartbreaking to see. And, you know, after they shut off the spigot for the Ukrainians, um, after they stopped letting them in at the border, CBP said they only had capacity to process a few dozen non-white asylum seekers. And so all of a sudden their capacity was just gone. It was, you know, it just, it was so transparent and so blatant and so hurtful for people who'd been suffering at that point for years with the asylum system closed off to them. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it was really hard to see that and, and, and to know the people, the, the people who I guess effectively they lost their place in line, right. Or people kind yeah. of in front of them and, 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 to a large degree, it's still much easier, right? We're not we're under Title Eight again now, not Title Forty Two, but it's still much easier for wealthy white people to get appointments using CBP One than it is for poorer non-white people, right? Yeah, because especially when the app was first launched, there's a point in the uh, appointment process during which you have to take a photo of yourself and it maps your face for facial recognition purposes. Yeah. And it wasn't working on really dark skinned people. You know, pe a few of the organizations working in Mexico had to buy the construction style lights to shine on people's faces so that yeah. it would <laughs> the photo yeah. would pick them up. But just even like you have to have a new phone. Um, yeah. I think they probably made the app to work on an iPhone, which most people outside the United States don't have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I got a tip on that. I, I've not been able to confirm it, but someone at the iStore told, or the iStore, the Apple Store told me that it wasn't working on certain Samsung and uh, Huawei phones, and that they were having right. people come in and buy like the cheapest iPhone they could in bulk to try and access it. Well, we keep iPhones in our office in Tijuana exactly for that reason because we, you know, people need to be able to access the app. Um, but now the well, the app has been hacked for a while. So there's some groups that work mostly, I would say, with Russian asylum seekers. Mm -hmm. They're charging, I think, around between 500 and 1,000 for an appointment, maybe more sometimes. Um, I'm not sure exactly how they're doing it. I know also there's been some hacking of the geolocation feature. So these criminal groups are selling appointments to people who haven't even left their home country. And meanwhile, you know, the shelters on the border are full of people with crappy phones and a weak internet connection who wait for months and months and months while the richer people who are paying for nice phones and appointments are able to get through much more quickly. Yeah, it, it, it's made a, a fucked up system even more fucked up. Uh, and yeah. That, they designed it in-house as well, which, you know, we, I don't know they, uh, they appear to have overestimated their abilities there. One day I'll get my foyers back about CBP1 and it will probably be some point in the middle of the next presidential administration, which will make them <laughs> very relevant and really fucking annoying. But Well, we're suing about it too, so it'll probably be a few years before we get to discovery, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll have really a race. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. you're assuming that they want the system to work, which they don't. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's fair. So in that sense, it's working perfectly. Right, yeah, it, and, and it's doing, in a sense, what like the unofficial undertone of immigration policy has always been, which, which is that like it's fine for wealthy white people to come here, but we want to limit the number of non-white and non-wealthy people who come here. And, and like they can say it out loud. Like, and I think maybe we should talk about this now. Like, the difference between Trump and Biden is that Trump just said it, uh, and Biden didn't. And when Trump said it, like wealth, well-meaning liberals in the Midwest gave a shit and sent money. Like in 2018, things were very bad in Tijuana, right? With the um, the people staying in the El Baratal. But like 
at least people in America cared and, and sent money so we could help. Whereas right. now, like, you know, major outlets who have given 10 front page stories to accusations of one woman plagiarizing in a dissertation that she wrote years ago haven't written a single piece about the open air concentration camps that our government has in Nagumba and other places. Well, not just that. I mean, they've the, the media by and large has allowed this right wing narrative of open borders to take over, even though the policies are largely identical um, to the Trump administration. Right. So they're even talking about now bringing back a Title 42 type restriction that would turn away asylum seekers and send them back to Mexico. We have the asylum ban, which is very similar to the one that was litigated under the Trump administration. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just, you know, family separation. Maybe it's yeah. not the minor children being taken away, but still thousands of families being separated. I think there's a couple things. Like one is just people hate when Trump does it, but they don't hate when Biden does it. That's one. Yeah. But also, like you said, Trump says the quiet part out loud. And so people respond to that. Whereas Biden has co-opted the immigrant rights movement by putting us in a stakeholder relationship. And I can see among some of my colleagues that they value access to power more than the rights of the people that we are supposed to serve. And so they will go along with a lot of this stuff and, you know, basically enable it in many ways just to maintain that access to power. And I've seen some of my colleagues who, you know, we were all fighting on the same side during the Trump administration yeah. have actually gone into the Biden administration and are implementing Jesus. these policies. Yeah, and so it's, bleak. you know, it's, it's really like pretty horrifying to see. Um, yeah. And also, I would say the people in the Biden administration are in many ways smarter because it was easier to litigate under the Trump administration. We could knock down a lot of these policies because they were just dumb. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah, like yeah. Not well written, you know, it was like clearly unconstitutional. You know, they learned lessons during the Biden administration or during the Trump administration. So now the policies are written in a way that are that make it much more difficult to to litigate. And the Supreme Court in 2022, in a decision called Aleman Gonzalez, made it impossible to get class-wide injunctive relief for violations of immigration law. So what that means is that DHS can violate the law, and there's no way to stop them from doing so on a large scale in the courts. And they are banking on that when, in current litigation. They literally are relying on that to, to continue breaking the law, especially when it comes to turning asylum seekers away. Yeah, and something else that Desmond has asked for is uh, he, he wants them to turn asylum seekers away before they get to the border and then quite understand what they... Uh, like, like, that would be inside Mexico, which... Uh, well, that's what Mexico is doing right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, um, like, on... I was in Hukumbra, uh, uh, like on Friday, Thursday, and, and they, yeah, National Guard are uh, like sitting at the little gaps in the wall. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, you've seen it too. You see National Guard, Mexican National Guard drive up. They kind of check out the situation and leave, and then the travel agents come and and drop off the migrants. Yeah. And so it's something very much that you know can be controlled to a great extent within Mexico, and yeah. the U.S. is very obviously you know working with mexico publicly obviously working with mexico to stop migrants from reaching the u.s mexico border and working with countries further south to stop people from reaching the u.s mexico yeah. border so this is definitely a regional project yeah one thing i want to talk about is as people come through those countries further south um there's this it's it's like in recent days even like we're recording this on uh on Monday, uh, people are here on Wednesday, but I've seen this narrative and I think it's coming from the fact that uh, funding for Ukraine was tied to funding for the border and, and people have lost their minds uh, over the, the conflict in Ukraine and, and, and they have silly dog pictures on, on Twitter and, um, and it become a replacement for a personality for a certain type of divorce guy. <laughs> <laughs> like... Uh, so, 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 like the yeah, the, the army of divorced dads has um, like turned on the border, and like one of the things you'll say is like, oh, like the border is like a, like like this is how like bad actors are getting in the U.S. You know, like, like you know, Hamas again, like the, the Hamas are really otherwise engaged at the minute. 
but like yeah they're busy they're busy yeah right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah like there's a whole lot of people who would love to leave gaza uh and we absolutely should welcome those people here but uh they can't uh, and that's fucked up but yeah this idea that like isis uh, uh hamas uh the russian secret of the russian fsb I'm sure some someone will have have suggested like North Korea or the PRC are coming through Hakumba as well. Like it, they see it seems to admit admit what happens to people on entering Mexico and indeed other countries further south, right? Like, can you explain how people seem to think that the U.S. is the only state with the capacity for surveillance, which is manifestly untrue? Can you explain how people are like surveilled and and um, like like yeah. make legible? On their way north, there are multiple multilateral and bilateral information sharing agreements that connect to criminal and you know quote unquote intelligence databases. Yeah. So when you are traveling internationally, you are subject to a web of surveillance that is, you know, in many ways connected to the United States. So the U.S. government knows you're coming like you know yeah. when you are countries away just by virtue of using a passport um but then for people who are traveling it through irregular means there's also a web of biometric collection stations that have been set up by the department of homeland security uh, most notably uh north of the darien gap and so extra continental migrants those from outside of the americas as well as some venezuelans and a few other nationalities have their fingerprints taken, iris scans, pictures taken for facial recognition, and that is entered into a database that is shared directly with the U.S. government. Um, there's several other bilateral information sharing agreements that are focused particularly on biometrics um, with several Central American countries and with Mexico, obviously. And Mexico has just insane enforcement in southern Mexico. If you've ever tried to travel overland from Tapachula to Mexico City, you will go through numerous checkpoints where, you know, your information is taken. You know, a lot of times you're just paying a bribe to keep going, but it's something where, you know, they know who's coming. That's why you hear all the time in the media, like this many people are coming through the Darien Gap. How do they know that? Well, they have these biometric you know, information yeah. collection stations. But I think just more broadly, like coming through the southern border as a refugee or just as a migrant is probably the stupidest way to come into the United States if you are trying to, you know, do a terrorist attack because like Border Patrol, despite what they like to say, they are not overwhelmed. You know, if you divide the number of people coming over by the number of agents, it's far less than one migrant per agent per day. So they have a pretty good lock on the border. There's not a lot of people getting through undetected. Those who turn themselves in, which is the vast majority of people, they are subject to um, all of the same surveillance and security checks I just mentioned. They get their DNA sample taken at the border. They give all of their information and then they are not let out of custody if they trigger any kind of security flag. And it can just be like, they're from Yemen. They're from yeah. Afghanistan. Sometimes they're just detained because of that. But any of those, if any of those checks are triggered, they're detained for the duration of proceedings. They never see that outside of a prison. So this idea that terrorists are sneaking over the border is frankly stupid. I think, you know, if we think back to 9-11, I think they all came on visas. Yeah, right? yeah. And like, the system makes it so much easier for someone who is wealthy and white uh, and and otherwise privileged to come to this country that like it, it's ridiculous to think that a state actor like Russia wouldn't take advantage of that rather than uh, yeah yeah attempting to to walk someone through the border where they're about to like encounter some of the most intense state surveillance that can happen to a person. And you start off in a prison, so like yeah. why would <laughs> yeah. you do that? And you may it never leave make it. Any sense? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sure there's like, you know, some people who have ties to foreign intelligence. Sure. I mean, it could happen, but it's like so the number is so vanishingly small. And I think another important thing to note is when people are processed, they have 
an obligation to attend an immigration court hearing. And yeah. when I looked at the statistics for Russian asylum seekers in particular, because I've seen a lot of this rhetoric of like Russia sending spies over the border. So 98.5% of them show up to their immigration court hearings. Are you going to do that if you're a spy? You're going to subject yourself to another round of security checks and you know spill your entire asylum story, subject yourself to cross-examination? No, you're not. So yeah. I don't know. People have watched that film, uh, the TV series, The Americans, a little too much, uh, <laughs> losing their minds. Okay, so I think, yeah, it's really important to also point out, like, when we're talking about the, the potential for bad actors, like, yeah, like, sure, maybe there's someone who's come who's done something bad, or maybe there's someone who comes who will do something bad. It doesn't mean that everyone else who came is in any way complicit in that, like, we haven't given them another way to come here. It's not like they right. had to take the bad guy route because they chose to. Like you, No one would be picking up their children and walking across the desert and then spending sometimes up to a week in camps which are currently below freezing at night, sometimes with, you know, like a blanket or like a, a tent or maybe a wooden shelter if they're lucky. Like, like no one would be doing that if there was an easier option and, and it, it's ludicrous to like claim that these people's asylum claims or, or or the fact that they should be welcome here is in any way impacted by the actions of somebody else who might have taken the same yeah i mean the other thing too is just because the border is so closed off by policies that restrict access to asylum it has supercharged the strength of criminal groups that bring people to the border and I will say that they are spreading a lot of misinformation. You know, they use this reporting from the right wing calling the border open to advertise their services. And they might very well tell people that it's a lot easier than it actually is and that they have an easier chance to get asylum than they actually do. I mean, I don't discount the power of misinformation, but those I have seen over the past six, seven years, um, especially since the Trump administration really tried to close off access to asylum. I've seen those groups grow in power. I've seen the price that people pay to cross the border grow both financially and just in the amount of suffering that they have to endure. So when we talk about border security and national security, I would argue that border restrictions actually make us much less safe because, you know, criminal groups now completely control the border. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a decade ago, even a person who just wanted to cross the border on their own could do so. You know, if they knew the way, they could just try to cross. And now if you try to do that without paying the criminal groups who really control it, you'll be killed. Yeah, and that's happened uh, multiple yeah. times in the last few months. We're talking of misleading advertising claims. Uh, we have had to take a short break to hear some of them. And we'll be back in a moment. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's full regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, we're back. Um, one thing that I want to talk about that we haven't got to yet is that, like, the the failed government response isn't just federal, or well, it, it is both federal and local. But I wanted to talk a little bit about this: that the federal funding that San Diego County got that that it reallocated towards uh, a quote unquote welcome center, right? And mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, we, we're both very familiar with the Welcome Center. It got it got three million dollars initially, and then it got it got three million more uh, because apparently uh, none of us are doing anything useful anywhere else and, and don't merit any help. And do you want to talk first of all about just like what the conditions are like? They were like you've just come out of being detained in the desert uh, for maybe up to a week. It's cold. Uh, we feed you, but like, uh, we wish we could feed you more and better. You don't have a change of clothes, right? Then you've been detained. You could have been detained for one night, two nights, several more nights. And then you hit this welcome center. So can you like, I can think what, how we would like to pe- treat people who have just been through all that, but can you explain to us how people are treated when they, when they arrive at a welcome center? Well, it's, they're not arriving there. They're picked up from detention by the nonprofit that's administering the welcome center in what look like prison buses. Right. I mean, it's, I can't, I can't imagine that someone getting on one of those buses understands that they're not just at another stage of detention. Right. So they get to this fenced in abandoned school. They are lined up and they're forced to, give all of their information to the nonprofit workers. They are, you know, mostly not Spanish. I think maybe like 40% Spanish speakers. I'm not sure the exact percentage, but there's people from all over the world. There's no paid interpreters on site. And so, you know, they do have this little script that they read in the beginning saying like, you're not detained. Like this is a welcome center, whatever, but they run it through Google translate and then play the <laughs> Google translate like over the megaphone, which it's like, have you ever tried to like understand someone screaming something into a megaphone? Never mind yeah. the fact that it's like Mandarin Google translate, like people, I guarantee you, they still think they're in prison. And so then they go, they have to sometimes wait for hours in this intake line. Only then they're given a ticket to eat, like probably some of the worst food I've ever seen. Like, I, you know, people are not eating a lot when they're at the open air detention sites. And then they're really not eating a lot when they're in detention. And I've seen people refuse the food there because it's that bad. And it's like, they're standing in a line for hours, not having eaten, probably not having slept and God knows how long, Yeah, you know, having this garbled message played to them over a megaphone. Um, so anyway, they get through all that. And then um, they're told they have to make their own way, you know, to their sponsor. And those who don't have the money to do so are provided with, I think it's up to maybe two or three days of shelter or a hotel room before they are shipped off to another part of the country. And so the goal of the Welcome Center is to get rid of the migrants, to get them elsewhere. So, you know, 95% to 99% do have a place to go. Um, They don't all have the means to get there, but most of them do. Almost all have the means to get there. The other few, like the other, you know, 1% to 5%, they need help. They need you know, maybe a place to stay for a couple of months. They need help getting a work permit. They might need help, you know, applying for asylum. But instead of 
investing in the resources that we need locally to help them, they're shipped off to New York, Chicago, or other places that have invested in those resources. Um, and that's really the same thing Greg Abbott was doing from Texas, but you know, we're just putting a nicer, we call it a welcome center. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, so, so it's, it's somehow great. better. Yeah. Yeah. And the welcome center, like, like, we could go deeper into its funding, but I, I think it's fair to say that, like, it's for one thing, it's doing things that CBP should do, right? Like, uh, like the transport specifically. The and transport specifically, but also like this idea of doing an intake with every single person who comes through there is such a waste of money because it's like it's infantilizing. These people have traveled across the world. You think they can't get to the airport on their own? Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't focus resources on that, you know, one to 5% of people who really do need help. It wastes resources on people who really don't. They need Wi Fi, they need a phone charger. Yeah. And maybe like a hard email. You know, they're getting the Wi Fi and the phone charger, which is not provided by the organization that receives $6 million. It's provided by one of the few organizations, including my own who are there providing services without county funding because we didn't want to be associated with this debacle yeah and uh, another thing you do is family reunification there right you guys are helping take care of that yeah which again i think people are unaware that families need to be reunified but they're still very much separated when they're in detention well they're separated at open air detention sites they're separated yep. in detention um, we've documented since September, I think it's over 1,100 families now that have been separated. Almost half of them are spousal separations, but a lot mm -hmm. of times when, you know, wife and husband are separated, the kids are with one spouse or another. So, you know, technically it's a separation of a child. We see a lot of separations of like 18-year-old children yeah. from the rest of their families where they're sent to detention facilities and the rest of the family is released. So there's all, you know, grandma from grandkids or um, niece and nephew, sibling separations. I mean, it's all traumatic, right? It's just not the particular brand of Trump separation that people seem to care about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The quote unquote kids in cages. And right. That, yeah. Oh, they're people... still in the cage. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sadly, that has not gone now. away. Yeah. yeah. Or their dad, but not both. Sometimes oh both. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's equally. It's equally tragic, but it's more tragic that somehow we've normalized it. And like with this, this shit, <laughs> immigration stuff only seems to be able to ratchet one way and it's further towards like insane degrees of cruelty, right? Like, yeah, the fact that Biden is doing what Trump did doesn't mean that Trump will do what Biden did if, if Trump is elected again, right? Like it, it, somehow they will find a way to make this even worse. Oh, absolutely. And I think the open air detention sites are a preview of what we'll see. You know, it's this idea of it being normal to deny people food, water, shelter, and medical care because they've, you know, committed this awful crime of crossing the border, which is like a misdemeanor, by the way. Um, and it's not yeah. even supposed to be illegal if you're seeking asylum. The Refugee Convention actually prohibits criminal prosecution of of folks who cross borders irregularly to seek asylum. And by and large, the U.S. attorneys, at least during the Biden administration, have stuck to that. You know, if you're arrested for crossing irregularly and you then apply for asylum, generally the charges will be dropped. So, but like this invader rhetoric, right? Like, oh, they're invading yeah. our country and whatever, the white replacement theory, all of that is really driving this really normalization of the inhumane treatment of border crossers yeah the point you made about like yeah you can cross between ports of entry and then claim asylum and it's it's one that seems to be completely missing from the discussion like i've seen countless times i've seen that uh like misrepresented in in other articles and it's it's in almost every single one yeah it's really disappointing like i i I have very little respect left to lose for a lot of people who, who work <laughs> in like, especially folks who w wish to report on the border without visiting the border. I just like, um, what are you, are you sparing yourself the trauma of seeing little children staying outside? Because like their trauma is much greater than yours, you know, and the things that they're coming away from are much greater than any trauma you're going to take on. I understand it's not very nice, but like we should face up to the not very nice things that our country does. Well, you also members of Congress who legislate 
on the border or trade away the rights of asylum seekers without ever having met any of them. And those who do come to the border just go on the border patrol tour and don't actually talk to the migrants. And so that's even worse, you know? But yeah, I agree. Like this idea that they're illegal is completely wrong. They're in a legal process. They're not prosecuted for illegal entry by and large, you know, unless they've tried multiple times. And even then, if they pass a credible fear interview, a lot of times those criminal charges are dropped. And so they're not illegal. This is a legal process. It's a legal way to access that process, especially when the ports of entry have been closed off to them. Yeah. And I think they've done to enter the US or like at any part of their journey disqualifies them from asylum, as you say, makes it like a quote unquote illegal, which is just kind of, I don't know, loaded language anyway. But yeah, they've taken every step to take a, to make a legal asylum claim. And lots of them will be like extremely aware of having done that, like not wanting to, like if people wanted to walk out of uh, the oh wait, the open air detention sites, they could, they're, they're not quote unquote detained, right? But like people are so cautious that they don't want to do anything that might imperil their asylum claim. Yeah. And it's really sad because they already have by crossing the border between ports of entry. That's what Biden's asylum ban addresses. Yeah. And so they're sort of coming from a defensive posture with respect to their eligibility for asylum by virtue of having done that. But the criminal groups that are organizing their transport tell them that that's the legal way. And people who are coming into open air detention sites believe they are following a legal process, which, you know, they are to a certain extent, but there's definitely legal consequences for having access to the system that way. Yeah. Yeah. Even though like, yeah, many of these people are like, I have sat with dozens of people, maybe hundreds of people as they've explained to me the amount of time CBP one crashed on their phone, the, mm-hmm. their attempts to go to the U S embassy in a city that might not be safe for them or to like transit through it, you know, like a, a regime that, that wants them dead. Uh, you know, hundreds of Kurdish people have shared with me that they've tried to get visas for the U S and failed. And, and uh, they've, they've tried every other option before trying this one. And yeah, think- most people have. Most yeah, people have. No one would do this. You know, it's not fun. It's it's not fun at all. No. And the last thing I wanted you to explain, Erica, is people are placed when they come through this whole system, right, in a defensive, uh, or they make a defensive asylum claim. Can you explain what that is and what the difference between affirmative and defensive asylum for people? Because again, it, it's in a lot of reporting I've seen, it, this is missing. Yeah. So... If I came to the U.S. on a visa and then decided I wanted to apply for asylum, I would be applying affirmatively. So that means that I've never been apprehended by immigration. I've never been placed in any kind of removal or deportation proceeding. Removal is just like the legal term for deportation. And so when you apply affirmatively, your initial screening is before an asylum officer. It's ostensibly a non-adversarial hearing but i've been in, <laughs> i've been in a lot of them and that's not always the case but you know you don't have like a like a government attorney cross-examining right. you it's just it's just the asylum officer who's supposed to be nice but they're not always um and then if you win if they approve your case that's the end you just get asylum and then you know that's a path to um citizenship If you are not approved, then you would be placed in removal proceedings where you could present your asylum case before an immigration judge. And so defensive is when you are apprehended or you turn yourself in at the border. You are placed in removal proceedings. So you don't get that first asylum interview before the officer. You just go straight to immigration court. And so when you're presenting your case in immigration court, there's a government attorney who's actively trying to deport you. I think most of the judges used to be government attorneys. And so they, many times it feels like they're also trying to deport you. <laughs> and the success of your claim is pretty much completely dependent on where it is adjudicated. So, and, you know, less also to have to do with your nationality. So if you are applying for asylum before the Atlanta immigration court, pretty much 99% of those cases are denied. And there's some judges who've denied 100% of cases. 
And that's true for a lot of um, jurisdictions within the Southeast. And then, you know, you have your friendlier jurisdictions like San Francisco. San Diego is not too bad, actually. But, you know, you have other courts where you have a better chance depending on the judge. But it really depends on the location, the judge that you happen to get. You could present the same exact claim in different cities before different judges and have a completely different outcome. Yeah. There's no objective criteria. And the people know this too, but unfortunately, like to get yourself to San Francisco and then survive there, just as an example, right, until yeah. the court day comes up, is unfathomably expensive. Like for me, I, I couldn't afford to get myself to San Francisco and make rent there and uh, it's barely no. uh, possible in San Diego. So yeah. It, and you don't, you don't qualify for work authorization until... Yeah, I think you can apply five months after you've submitted your application for asylum. And in many cases, you don't get your initial court date for months or years after you've entered, mostly months. But people don't understand that you can lodge your asylum application before your first court date to get that clock going on your work authorization. And so people I see very commonly are waiting at least a year to get work authorization. And so you know, not only would you have to survive in a high cost of living city, but without the legal ability to work. And so it's really hard for people when they first come to the United States. And, you know, un- unlike what is spouted many times in the right wing media space, there are no benefits available to someone who's seeking asylum. They're not getting any kind of government money. Yeah. 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 There's a, uh, I remember what it is. You have to be it's like a burden of the state or something thing that you have to ward of. I can't remember when you, uh, public charge. So like it, on top of all this, like, people aren't aware of that. It's very, uh, it's sad. Like, like I've had a bunch of people who I've interviewed or just befriended when I've been helping out in Hakumba who have been like, Hey, like, how do I find work? <laughs> like, well, like, uh, do you know, do you have, they, they didn't realize they wouldn't be permitted to work. Like, and even yeah. like we, we spoke to Amos the other day, it, he has offers of work, right, from his old employer, but they that he can't take them up on that because, as you say, he's he's got to sit doing nothing uh, for for five months until he's he's legally allowed to work. Which is it doesn't help anyone, right? It doesn't doesn't help migrants. It doesn't help us. Like um, it it just forces people to work for cash or for for low wage jobs, which leaves them ripe for abuse or for non payment, right? And, and like it, it's a system that doesn't doesn't really work for anyone. They have no rights as workers, right? They, they can also be end up doing very dangerous work, and we've seen that a lot. Well, I mm-hmm. think something too that's important to note mm-hmm. is that there's obviously all these push factors toward migration, but a huge pull factor is the employment market in the United States. So we have you know hundreds of thousands of open jobs, and you know people have to leave their country but they also choose to go to a certain place so many of them like i said almost all of them have some kind of tie to the united states like family or friends you can host them but it's they're not going to come here if they can't get a job and so it's important to note that as well and i think what you're saying about the exploitation of migrants in the labor industry is really important because i think that you know that's part of why there are so many restrictions because when you do not provide a path to citizenship you create a permanent underclass that is very vulnerable to exploitation and i think that's by design yeah like it 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 works very well right like it increases for for people who are unconcerned with the well-being of other humans like yeah it it creates a constant pool of cheap and disposable labor yeah because if they're invaders you know and they start to act up and demand their rights it's very easy politically to just get rid of them yeah and that some of the same people who are deploying this close the border rhetoric, I'm sure, are also exactly. taking advantage of that undocumented labor. And Erica, if people want to help, they want to donate, uh, they want to learn more um, about this, is there a place where they can find you uh, or Alo or Tolalo on the internet? Yeah, so they can go to our website, which is alotrolado, A-L-O-T-R-O-L-A-D-O dot org. Um, to donate, there's a donate button there on the homepage, or you can put alotrolado.org slash donate. Um, we are alotrolado underscore org on all of the social media platforms. And if folks have people in their lives who are migrants who want more information about the asylum system, I would recommend going to our TikTok page, which has 
multiple videos in over a dozen languages, um, including many indigenous languages on the asylum process. Um, and then for, you know, those of us who are wanting to learn more, our Instagram pages is more public facing. Perfect. Yeah, that's great. You guys have some excellent merch as well. Are you still selling your Chingala Migra t-shirts? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. Have tote, we have tote bags and mugs too. So. Okay, yeah. Uh, Just like uh, NPR, but cooler. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I think we can customize the messaging too. Um, you know, I'm, I, I can think of a few that probably aren't appropriate to, to say in polite company, but if folks have suggestions for what they'd like to see in our merch, we'd be more than happy to take those suggestions on our info at aletrolala.org email. Perfect. Great. Yeah. I'm sure you'll be flooded with ideas. Thanks so much. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. Roller coaster. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.